Good morning. How are you doing today? Good? I'm so happy to be here with you guys. I'm so happy to be here, period, but <laughs> I'm so glad to, that we were able to come and visit with you. We love coming and visiting with you. Um, we are uh, going through this series called uh, Real Church. Uh, if you've been following it, we're studying uh, chapter 2 of the book of Acts, um, which should be the chapter that anyone interested in doing real church should study. Uh, we've seen a couple of very interesting things in the last two weeks. Uh, the first week, we saw how the church started, and we learned how um, it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way, and there are things that we have to do in order to get out of uh, where we were. But we saw in the second week uh, what real community should be, and we saw how that happens when we are devoted to certain things, uh, like studying the Word of God, you know, the, what the apostles were teaching, breaking bread, being in communion, you know. Uh, but today, um, we're going to study what true devotion to those things should produce, okay? Um, we're going to see how one of the marks of a real church is generosity. And we're going to see also how uh, real community and, and real generosity are deeply related, and, and they're a lot deeper than sometimes it seems, okay? So uh, let me pray for us, and, and, and let's dig into this subject that I know it's a, a tricky one when we talk about real generosity, uh, but we're going to go through it uh, with the Holy Spirit in our sight. Father, we just thank you for your love, and um, I would like to ask you, Lord, that uh, it would be you who speaks to us. I know we're going to talk about uh, delicate subjects here, and I know that we need you. So please be with us and be you who speaks to our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, our passage today is Acts chapter 2, verses 43 to 45, and it says this, <clears throat> everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles, and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I read passages like this, I am really in awe, especially if you think about the time when this happened. You know, this was a time when um, people were, most of them, very, very poor. They had very little, you know, and it says there that whoever had whatever they had were willing to share it, okay? They were willing to sell their possessions and, and share them with the people that needed them. And, and before I go on, uh, I want you to please hear me say this. Uh, when we talk about generosity and the use of our money, uh, people usually feel attacked. I'm not attacking you, okay? People usually feel either anger, you know, because when they hear this, they think, oh, yeah, I knew it. It was about my money. That's all they wanted, you know, or, or they feel guilt because they know these concepts. They study them through their lives, but they're not following them. Or, or maybe they feel shame, you know, because they wish they could, and maybe at the moment they can't, you know, or, or maybe they made some foolish decisions in the past and they are in debt so, so they can't possibly be generous. Uh, I am not trying to make you feel any of those feelings. What I want you to do today is to open your eyes to things that Jesus thought for a reason. And, and if you give any value to your peace and happiness, you need to hear these words, okay? So... Uh, the question is always when you read passages like this and you, you, you see this church is how could they be so generous? 
You know, why is it not happening exactly that in, in every church around the world today? You know, not, not, not here. I'm not talking about you in particular. I know this is a very generous church. But the question is, how come that particular thing where everyone is willing to share with everyone if they need is not happening? See, it is very important to understand the why, okay? Because if you don't understand the why, you're going to be confused. See, uh, here's the thing. See, you can see Christianity in one of three ways. See, I see Christianity as a very narrow path with two cliffs, one on each side. To the right side, we have what we call legalism. And these are people that think that all Christianity is, is a set of, uh, of rules given out as commands by God, and we have to obey them. And if you think that way, if you fall into this right cliff, all you're going to hear is, now I have to give my things away. I have to follow these rules. I have to obey. You know, we just create a list of do this, don't do this, you know, and we think we have to do it by willpower. That is not Christianity, Okay. I'm not saying that God doesn't have a, a vision of the moral life that you should live, but what I'm saying is it's impossible to live these things without a relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, it's not just willpower, I have to do this. Okay, now on the left side, we have liberalism. These are the people that say, okay, I'm saved, God loves me, eventually he'll transform me, but in the meantime, I can do whatever I want. And then they make a mess of their lives and usually blame God for it. Okay, that's not Christianity either. See, Christianity is a very narrow path where you position yourself in the place where God can transform you. You see life through the lens of redemption. You know that what God did is have compassion and mercy for us and sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that you could be restored in a relationship with him. And then he puts the Holy Spirit into your heart and that starts transforming your heart. And when your heart changes, your action change, okay? So this is exactly what happens to these people. See, th this is what they're telling us that happened. And it's important to remember what happened to them because then we will see what we have to go through. See, if you remember the first uh, two weeks of this, this uh, series, in the first one, Peter preaches a sermon where he proves to the Jewish people that Jesus is the Messiah using the scriptures, See, he goes to the scriptures and shows them that Jesus is the Messiah. And, and it says there that when they heard these things, they were caught to the heart, which means they, they knew they were wrong. They, they were guilty. They had done something wrong. And, and, and that guilt moves them to action because they say, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter tells them two things. He says, you have to repent and you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. The first one, repent, means a lot more than just feeling really, really bad about what you did. Repent is a word that means change of direction in the way you're living your life. It literally means a U-turn. You know, you're going to change the way you're living your life. And the second one, when he says you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, it means you have to recognize that Jesus is the King of kings and the Savior of the world, the Messiah. And to be able to do that, you know, what they did is they were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. See, uh, we usually read that chapter and we, we, we see the sermon, we see what Peter did, and then we see the church and we think that it was instantaneous. I'm convinced there was a period of time between the end of that sermon and that church behaving that way because the change of heart doesn't happen from one day to the next. See, they were devoted to the teachings of the apostles. Uh, they were positioning themselves in the place where God can transform them 
because they started learning from the apostles what Jesus taught them. So the question is, what did Jesus teach in regards to the subject of generosity, of the use of our money? Now, if you have a, a background in church, you have probably heard that the, one of the favorite subjects of Jesus was money. Have you heard that before? You know, 25% of his teachings were related to money. And, and like 16 out of the 39 parables mentioned money. So, so you will hear people say, well, Jesus always talked about money, but that's a little bit deceiving. Because you see, every time that Jesus talked about money, what he was doing is he used money, which is something everyone understands, to make a larger point. Okay? All his teaching and money is no different, uh, are always after your heart. Because he knows that the, the fruit of a transformed heart is different actions. So when we study his teachings about money, which we're about to do, you need to look for the larger point. Don't get stuck just in money, because I know that the most delicate nerve is the one that goes from the heart to the wallet. Okay, so, so loosen up, okay? Uh, we we want to see what he taught, and you'll see that he's talking about something else, all right? We could go to many places to, to learn about this, but we're going to go to his most famous sermon, which is the Sermon on the Mount. If you read through that sermon, which goes through three chapters of the Bible, you know, you'll see that he talks about all kinds of things. He talks about marriage, he talks about divorce, he talks about murder, uh, he talks about prayer, he talks about fasting, he talks about a lot of disciplines, and then he gets to wealth, okay? So here it is, Matthew uh, chapter 6. We're going to start in verse uh, 19, and we're going to move forward, okay? It says this, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where uh, thieves break and, and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, the first thing that you see there is a contrast. Treasures on earth treasures on heaven, okay? He says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Why? Because they're fragile, they're temporary, they're not real, they're not going to last. Instead, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven because there they are eternal and they are real. So Jesus is not saying, God does not want you to have treasures. See, he's not saying that. Uh, what he's saying is, God is trying to save you from lots of anxiety and emptiness if what you chase are fake treasures. See, he's trying to remind you that you control a lot less than you think you can control. See, he's saying you think that because you can make certain treasures on earth, you're going to be fine. You're going to have peace. You're going to have happiness. But those things don't last. They are so fragile. Just look at what's happening right now. During this pandemic, around the world, all those treasures that we created on earth that gave us security went to their knees because of a tiny virus. You know, in a matter of months, he's saying, you do not control as much as you think you do. And also, it doesn't matter how much you get, how many treasures you lay up for yourself on earth, they will not make you happy. And that's a lesson that I think we all need to learn. Even though we have heard it, we haven't learned it. See, I believe that the people that are miserable in this world because of money uh, are divided in two groups. One group is a very large group. These are the people that think that money is happiness, but they don't have enough money. So they think they're miserable because they don't have enough money. 
And then the other group is a very small group, and these are the people that thought that money was happiness, and they made a lot of money, and they're still miserable. You know? And they have the money. They have the power. They have the things, and they're like, I don't understand. And Jesus is trying to save you from that. Happiness is not related to how much money you have. We will see later that it is related to how do you use your money, whatever amount you have, but not to how much you have. See, this is what Solomon discovered. Have you read the book of Ecclesiastes? You know, uh, we went through the book of Ecclesiastes in Cancun some years ago through the whole book, and, and it's very interesting because Solomon embarked in an experiment. He said, okay, I'm going to try to find out if I can find joy and fulfillment from the things of the earth. And he tries everything. You know, he has a ton of money, so he starts throwing these parties. But I mean, these huge parties, you know, hundreds of people, they had to kill hundreds and hundreds of animals just to feed the people. You know, then parties don't work, so he tries building things. So he builds houses and, and, and these forests and these lakes, and it doesn't work. So then he tries sex. He has 300 wives, 700 concubines, a thousand mothers-in-law. I mean, I don't understand the guy, but, you know, he, he, he tried everything. And at the end, what he discovered is it's all meaningless. He discovered that it didn't matter how much he got and how much pleasure and how much anything. It was meaningless. You see, our problem is that most of us here, probably none of us here, will ever be able to do that experiment because we will never be as rich as Solomon. So you know what we think? Just a little more. If I only had just a little more, I'd be happy. If I only had a little bit more, I, I'll be at peace. I'll feel secure. You know, and, and, and Jesus is trying to tell you there, don't fall for that trap. It is a trap. And even though we hear these things, we don't believe them, right? I mean, be honest with yourself. You hear Jesus saying, no, 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 money is not going to make you happy. And how many of you are thinking, let me give it a try. Give me a bunch of money. I'll prove you wrong. No? <laughs> how many of you dream with winning the lottery? Even though statistics say that the majority of people that win large amounts of money ruin their life, you're thinking... Give it a try. I'll show you. I'll be good with the money. So, so he says, do not invest here. Don't make money what it's not. You cannot buy peace. You cannot buy security. Okay? You cannot buy happiness. You cannot go to the store and buy happiness. You can buy comfort, but not happiness. And what he says is, instead, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where they are real. Stop fussing about fake money and work for the real money. See, um, many, many years ago, our son Alex was a newborn, so about 30 years ago, uh, we lived in a small house in Cancun, and we had neighbors, a couple of houses down the street that we became uh, friends with, a, a couple that was young like us. And we started inviting them over uh, to play Monopoly. You know, on Friday nights, they would come over and we'd play Monopoly. The first time they came, you know, we found that funny, Karin and I, that, that the husband started winning. You know, he started buying houses and placing them in many properties. He got the most expensive properties, put hotels in them. But every time his wife landed on one of the properties, he would enjoy it so much. He was like, ah, and like, pay up, you know? And she would start getting upset, you know? And, and we just thought it was cute and funny. But the second Friday, she started getting really angry. And by the third one, they just had this horrible fight 
over the game because he was making her pay. She, she just whipped the table completely and stormed out of the house and left. And then we realized that the fights that they had on the Monopoly game carried throughout the week. Can, can you imagine having a horrible fight with your husband or wife over fake money? You know where I'm going with this? That's the way God sees us. He's like, why are you fussing over this fake thing? This is not real. When you die, everything, all the houses, the little hotels, and the everything is staying in the box. You're going up there where, where things are real. But you know what's the problem? The world deceives us horribly. And this is what Jesus talks about next. Look at Matthew 6, 22, 23. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in, if, if then the, the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? You know what he's saying? He's saying, if you interpret reality wrong, you know, if, if the way that you interpret reality is wrong, then you will be either full of light if you interpret it correctly or, or full of darkness if you don't. If you confuse light with darkness, that means if you think that the treasures on earth are real, you are interpreting things wrong, and then you are so full of darkness. And, and, and the problem is that's a very common confusion. You know, we are all confused thinking that the treasures here on earth are real. You know, the world is always trying to sell us the idea of what the good life is. And it's everywhere. Wherever you look at, you know, you turn on the TV, see an ad, open a magazine on your devices. Have you noticed the algorithms that they're using now to convince you that you need certain things to be happy? I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we were watching a show, Corinne and I, and they showed a, a, an old Mustang, you know, one of 65 or 66. And, and, and I said, oh, I think it's a Mustang 65. And Karina said, like, no, 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 it's a 66. And we Googled Mustang 65, Mustang 66. Yeah, she was right. Okay, it doesn't matter. It's not part of the story. But the point of the fact is, every time from then on that I got into Google, guess what popped up? A Mustang. Everywhere. You know, these people are trying to, to tell me, if you want to be happy, you have to keep going with your search and buy it. You need this to be happy. And the phrase of the era, you deserve it. You know, they tell you deserve this. It's all a trap. And Jesus is trying to warn us. You, you remember what he said in verse 21? He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What he's saying is, be careful what you treasure because your heart will follow. You won't even notice. You will just start chasing these things and you don't even notice. Yeah. See, Jesus wants you to experience true joy in life. So he pleased with you. You need to free yourself from the love of money. But see, if, if, if you really want the Holy Spirit to transform you, you have to pay attention to the next words that he said, because this should make you change the way that you see wealth and that you see your life. Verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Notice first that he didn't say, no one should have two masters. He said, no one can. No one can serve two masters. 
if you think you can, you're deceiving yourself. See, and you may not notice that you're being deceived. But see, whatever you treasure most, whatever is most important to you, whatever you are devoted to, that's your master. So ask, your, ask yourself, uh, am I devoted to, to God in reality? Is he my devotion or am I devoted to my career? So there's people that all they think about is how they can prosper in their career. You know, usually they hang on their design of Jesus so that they can feel good about it. But all they're trying to pursue is prosperity or their family or, or a hobby. See, if you want to know what are you devoted to, all you have to do is check how do you use your time and how do you use your money. And you'll know. That doesn't lie. Okay? You can lie to yourself, but if you check your time and money, you will know. Okay, so he says, you cannot serve two masters. But the line that should really shake us all, and, and one that many people don't stop to think about what it really means is the last one. He said, you cannot serve God and money. Why would he say that? You cannot serve God and money. What's the opposite of God? You would have thought this is you cannot serve God and the devil, or God and evil, or God and sin. But why money? Why did he say that? Actually, the word that he used is, is mammon. And mammon is money, but it goes beyond money. Because it means the money that you make, plus the money that you want to make. The things that you have and the things that you wish you had, okay? So uh, what Jesus is saying, you're going to serve one of two masters. Either you will serve God or you will serve your things. But you see what he's saying? He's saying the main competition for your devotion are your things or your desire to have them. That's the main competition. See, what you treasure will shape your heart because you're going to put your trust there. Whatever you treasure, that's where your trust is. So in other words, you will never be able to live a life of real generosity if God doesn't become the real center of your life. See, the way that you think about everything changes if God is truly the center of your life. Because if he's the center of your life, you're thinking everything comes from him. Everything. And all I am is a manager, a steward of these things. But if he's not the center of your life, your thinking is, hey, I work hard for these things. I can use them however I want. So if you think that treasures are real, you're making a bigger mistake than you think because you might be compromising your eternal life or your rewards in the eternal life, the real life. So imagine that uh, we were invited to play a game of Monopoly, you know, real Monopoly, you know, the, the game, and that one of the billionaires of the earth was present, you know, and he pulled you aside and said to you, we're going to play this game, but I'm going to make a secret rule for some of you. Whoever helps the most other people during the game will be the real winner, okay? You have to try to play the game good because you have to be able to help other people. But whoever helps the most other people in this game of Monopoly, when the game is over, I'm gonna set you up for life. You won't have to worry about anything again. How would you play? What would you do during that game? Would you be generous? Would you be helpful to others? Why? Because in your heart you would know, 
It's fake money anyway. It's monopoly. It doesn't matter what happens with this money, but this guy's going to set me up for life after. And this is exactly what Jesus is trying to teach you about money in all of his teachings. He's saying, use the resources I give you to be generous and help other people, and you will lay up treasures for you in heaven. So how do we do that if we really wanted to do it? Well, there's teachings in both the Old Testament and the New Testament about that. The Old Testament, you know, Leviticus 27 and the, the Deuteronomy, they talk about tithe, 10%, the first fruits. You know, we're supposed to bring our tithe, give it to the Levites so that the temple could function, okay? That was a very clear uh, command in the Old Testament. And what a lot of people uh, question is, whether if that was transferred to the New Testament. There's a lot of argument uh, about that. See, to me, what settled it was Jesus rebuking the Pharisees in Matthew 23. If you remember, he says, woe to you Pharisees who tithe more than you should, but neglect the most important parts of the law. He says, you should have done this without neglecting the other. So Jesus there is saying, you should be tithing but you should also pay attention to the deepest part of what the law means. In other words, what he's saying is you're obeying the law, but you're missing me. You're doing what you're supposed to do, but you don't have a relationship with me. And that is the problem, see? Because if all you do from now is, oh, okay, well, then I have to do this. You know, I have to start giving my 10% every week, but you don't have a relationship. He's going to say to you, you're obeying the law, but what I want is your heart. I want to have a relationship with you. So you're going to be missing him. So to me, you know, 10% is the baseline because when you, you know, when these things really sink into your heart, you start seeing money different. So, and this is why in the book of Acts, in this church that we're studying, did you notice that they don't even mention tithe? But it appears to have been replaced by radical generosity where people are selling their things. And they're not afraid to do that. Why? Because they are all doing it. And they know that if they fall into hard times, somebody else is going to help them. Okay? My family will be there for me. So when you are generous, you will receive generously. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. It says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So, see, it, it, to me, the, these verses show you how God cares about your heart. See, what he's saying is, this is not a timeshare presentation. I'm not trying to trick you into this. You know, I don't want you to give com by compulsion. See, God loves your heart when it rejoices by giving. And you know what? This is one of those images that once you see them, you never forget them. You know, they, they really transform you. So I can tell you that the family that gave the largest amount to build our building in Cancun, when they gave them to us, they were so happy. They were, they were saying, we are truly blessed that we're being able to help so many people. And when you see that, a cheerful giver, it's an amazing testimony to the faithfulness of God. It changes you. So we are supposed to tithe. What about the other 90% of our income? Because, you know, I think that the church has made a mistake 
you know, for many years, and I mean church with, you know, capital C, not this church, but the church, by saying, you tithe, and then the rest do whatever you want. But Paul teaches us different. See, Paul is teaching to Timothy, and he's going to clarify for us what it really means to lay up treasures in heaven. 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 19, Paul, uh, Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world. I'm going to stop there for a sec, because when I read these verses the first few times, I thought, oh, rich, pay attention, because this is not talking to me, you know? If you have another pair of shoes besides the one that you're wearing, another set of clothes, food for the next three days in your refrigerator, you're in the top 5% of the rich people of the world. And I know that in situations like the one we're living right now, you're thinking, you don't know what I'm going through. And, and I understand that is true. You know, it is impossible to be generous when you're not receiving an income. I understand. But I want you to pay attention to what he's going to say. 